Cash, Cancer, and Comedy. Mix those three things together and what do you get? You get episode 16 of the Cancer and Comedy podcast with our guest, certified financial planner David Chudik. When cancer struck his family, he leveraged his financial planning chops with some warm and joyful family moments, and he did some real good. If money is in the mix of your cancer journey, then you really need to listen to this episode, my friend. My name is Dr. Brad Miller, and right after retiring as a pastor, I got clobbered by a cancer diagnosis. And I clobbered back by creating the Cancer and Comedy Podcast for people impacted by cancer who are determined to live a full and cheerful life. If you're ready to join me, then listen on, my friend. Listen on. Cancer got you down? Pretty grim, huh? How about a show that turns the grim into a grin? Way to go. You made it here to the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals. Hey there, Lifter Uppers. I'm Deb Creer, the co-host of Cancer and Comedy, where we like to bust cancer in the caboose with uplifting stories of healing through hope and humor. We're so jazzed that you made it here with us today, and we've got a treat for you. So let's get started. Here is the host of the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, Dr. Brad Miller. Thank you, Deb. Appreciate you so much. You are a lifter upper in so many ways. You encourage people and uh, with your voice and with your laughter and with your wonderful attitude. And we're here on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. We really like to talk about lifting people up. In fact, we like to call it turning the grim into the grin, the grim of cancer into the grin of celebrating life. And that's what we want to do. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about, oh, money and finances and about uh, family stuff. And I I had a little financial situation I had to deal with in, in my life uh, recently. Mm-hmm. I had to, unfortunately, I had to, uh, I just, you know, I had to fire the guy who mows my lawn. It just seems, oh, no. it just seems like the dude just couldn't cut it. <laughs> we need a rim shot. There you go. <laughs> well, Deb, today on Cancer and Comedy, we are talking about money a little bit. We're also talking about family and how cancer impacts all those type of things. And we kind of turn our focus on how the sticker shock of dealing with the financial picture when you have cancer. How do you manage that? How do you deal with that? How do we look for professional help? But how do we also navigate that in in, in the family? And so Deb, just tell a little, little bit about how we don't want to uh we don't have to get into granular details, but when some of the financial implications of having, you know, stage you know, stage four cancer like you've had a couple of times mm-hmm. now. And no matter what your insurance and all that kind of stuff is, you see those bills come in or whatever they are. Tell me Mm -hmm. how you kind of reacted to that emotionally and then how you kind of navigated some of that uh, with your, you know, with your husband, your family, things like that. Yeah. You know, it, it is, it is just as much a challenge as actually surviving the cancer. Um, I was incredibly fortunate that we have very, very good insurance and, virtually everything was covered. I mean, you know, and, and so we were terribly fortunate and I totally understand that because many people aren't. And I think that ends up being one of the biggest shocks to people is just how much all of this costs, even if they have something fairly simple, um, heaven forbid they have something complicated. And so it's a matter of if you can and where you can kind of plan in advance. And I know that's what our our guest is going to be talking to us about today, but you know, we need to do as much as we can so that we are focusing on healing ourselves rather than, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay this bill? Mm. You know, I can't help but think in my case, you know, we were blessed to have, you know, good insurance, but mm-hmm. my wife particularly is a comparison shopper and, you know, and mm-hmm. I follow her lead in this area so much. And, and uh, there's just, we did in my particular case with prostate cancer, there's several different treatment options and we're Mm going to follow the advice of the doctor for the most part, but we did research 
the medical aspects, but also the financial aspects of the different right. options, because we had some different options here before mm-hmm. us. And there are some considerable differences right. in the price tag of some of the options that you mm-hmm. can take, whether it's uh, you know, surgery or chemo or uh, other courses of Right. Or even action. where you have it done. You know, where a you have charges far more than, say, an outpatient clinic. Absolutely. There's that aspect and all that type of thing. And I, and I, as I was going through that, and some, I just remember getting some of those first bills in, and they were covered by insurance for the most part, but still, so pretty oh. daggone big numbers on <laughs> you kind of <laughs> takes your breath away. And, uh, and you kind of think also, at least in my case, I think about, okay, what if, uh, you know, didn't have insurance or what if this is a right. family member, mm-hmm. you know, that I know have, I know mm-hmm. this would be impact my, uh, my adult children, maybe a little differently than mm-hmm. me if they had to deal with some really, tra- right. you know, dramatic, uh, mm-hmm. medical bills. And then how would you deal with it in, in the family and, you know, to whatever the case may be, raise money, you know, people, mm-hmm. people do the various online fundraising methods. You see that quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. fundraisers for right. uh, cancer mm-hmm. or what have you that, that this kind of thing or for individuals, you know, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the noise you can, you know, the cans of change and mm-hmm. convenience stores mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, that people have, uh, people sometimes get a little bit, uh, desperate and so on to, right. to do mm-hmm. with this, do with this area. Did this, did the financial piece have any implications in your family or how you handle things uh, that way or is, or, or not? You know, like I said, I was very fortunate um, because it didn't, you know, the, the, but there are, you know, there are other things to be thinking about. Like, you know, is, is your caregiver, can they take enough time off of work, you know, to do that? Are you going to lose your job? You know, I have my own company and I was very fortunate that I could just kind of put it on hold or work from the hospitals and and from the doctor's offices. And so, but that was kind of along with this too, is how are we going to continue doing that? You know, or are we going to put things on hold and and just come up later? Yeah. Well, some people certainly make other life decisions, whether it's, you Mm -hmm. know, big ticket items like buying a home or selling a home, any number of Mm -hmm. things, second mortgages, all kinds of things can come Mm -hmm. into play when you have major financial considerations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Right. We've got to keep those in mind in our whole picture. And hopefully mm-hmm. we can be helpful to uh, folks who are dealing with this because, mm-hmm. you know, there's several things in life that are not funny that we have to deal with with a little bit different right. attitude and having financial problems isn't all that funny. So we have to uh, help us to deal with that as well. And so we're fortunate today, uh, Deb, to have a a really excellent uh, financial advisor on our uh, mm-hmm. podcast uh, today. His name is David Chudik. He's a financial advisor and he has a really a passion about helping people uh, plan their life out financially, make informed mm-hmm. decisions and he has a podcast about this and he does, has his own business about financial planning about this because he was not really a, he would talk to people about getting their financial house in order and planning and so on and investments and getting ready for retirement, other things like that. And when he came into the, a, a situation in life that impacted him personally, his, at a young age, in her early fifties, his sister um, developed cancer a really aggressive form of cancer that within a matter of months uh, took her life and impacted her dramatically financially as well and also impacted her family, which mainly was her son, his nephew, who was about 19 at the time. There was lots of implications there in that. So just give me a little bit of your reaction to the conversation we were able to have with, with David and how what parts of that kind of struck you uh, an emotional cord with you for us to talk about here today. Well, you know, it, it was very interesting. And we all know that talking about financial planning is one of those things people don't like to do, right? You know, death and taxes and financial planning. And, you know, and and so what I liked hearing him talk about, though, were the things that you can do in advance, can and should, no matter what your health condition is, things like that. And especially if you have children, um, you know, so he really talks about getting your affairs in order because, you know, when you might need it to be, you know, taken care of, you might not be able to. So, you know, things like, uh, you know, and, and he, he will discuss this, you know, your finances, your power of attorney, all of those things. It was just very interesting to hear him talk about this and realize that we should be doing it no matter what. Hmm. Well, it's a fascinating conversation that we had. And 
the good news is, is that, and we'll talk about a little bit of that during the interview, maybe when you and I come back together, there was some really uplifting moments about this story, especially how even in the midst of health and financial crisis, there was a restoration of relationships, particularly between David and his sister as she mm-hmm. went through her dramatic health crisis. And there was some uh, humorous stories in that process. And it's good to see, even in the midst of a kind of desperate situation, people are finding healing. Isn't that a good thing? Right. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, we're pleased that uh, David's with us here today. We did want to remind our good folks here on Cancer and Comedy that uh, we are all about healing with hope and humor. And one of the ways we do that is through the podcast. And we are actually having the grand opening of our podcast through a live stream that we're doing. And depending on when you're listening to this, it's happening on November the 4th, 2023. And we're live streaming a cancer benefit comedy show that our podcast is sponsoring. It's called the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit. And it's happening live in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you're in that area, please uh, check out our website, cancerandcomedy.com. You can find out more about that. But we really are encouraging our Cancer and Comedy audience to check it out as a live stream. And you can find that at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. And that launch party is happening Saturday, November 4th, 2023 at 7 o'clock p.m. And the guest we have is a comedian who we were on a prior episode of Cancer Comedy. His name is Rick Roberts, and he uh, was in the movie Mayberry Man, and he has a killer um, Barney Fife impression. It's the way people will will check uh, will check out the Cancer and Comedy live stream November 4th at 7 o'clock p.m. That's Eastern Time, and it gets cancerandcomedy.com slash live. You know, I can't wait to attend from Atlanta. So, you know, like we said, you can be anywhere and be able to participate. Well, following today's interview, you're going to want to stick around for Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. Maybe we should say number two, right? Because we already had one. <laughs> but we'll also have our Faith It or Break It segment and our listener lifter stories. Did you know that you can be part of an upcoming episode of Cancer and Comedy with your uplifting story of hope and humor in kicking cancer in the butt? Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and leave us your message. Well, we appreciate that and hope people will do just that. And right now, it's my uh, pleasure to introduce as our guest here on Cancer and Comedy, David Chudik. And it's my pleasure and joy to introduce to you David Chudik from ParallelFinancial.com, who uh, brings us some incredible stories of his own family life, but also some applicable information in your life about something that happens to everybody who faces cancer or other severe diseases. That's the financial burden. I love talking about money because money has such an important impact on all of our lives. But also cancer has impacted my life and my family. You can't separate the two, cancer and money. There's a money component to everything. And of, and of course, illnesses, there's always a money component and a financial component. Hopefully I can share a little bit of, of my story and what I've been through and maybe give some practical financial tips as well. Sure. They're all integrated. Everything's integrated together in your life. We can't, mm-hmm. here on Cancer Comedy, we talk about seeing things from a lighter perspective. That's because there's a lot of grim stuff out there. We, in order to survive, we got to get through some of the darkness to some lighter places. And we need some people to help us to navigate this. And particularly, one of those areas is the financial area, but particularly when something dramatic happens to us, like cancer. I, a year or so ago, I had a cancer diagnosis, certainly turned my world upside down, including some arrangements that my wife and I had to do financially to address that. But tell me about how when cancer came home to you and your family. Get a phone call from my sister who who lived about five, five hours from me and she was 50. She said, I passed out. They had to call a an ambulance and I'm in the hospital. She sounded fine or got phone calls on changeovers from her saying that they thought they were thinking that she had a stroke. So I'm getting incomplete information. And one thing that 
I saw through this whole process is people hear, they don't always hear what doctors say. They hear what they might be afraid that the doctors might say, or they might hear what they hope that the doctors might say. So anyway, so it turns out that she had a, a tumor and they were going to do brain surgery and the brain surgery, the doctor described it as incredibly minor. And they said, you have a, she has a meningioma. And if God wanted you to have a tumor, a meningioma would be the one. And we're going to cut open her skull, which sounds a lot worse than it is. And she should mm. be back to normal in a couple of weeks. And after the surgery, the doctor told my brother, her brother as well, and her son held the tumor. It's a meningioma. It's, it's just what it is. And of course, we have to biopsy everything. It's not a big deal. The next day, it turns out, or a couple of days later after the biopsy, this was lung cancer that metastasized to her brain. It goes from almost a joke of you have the good kind of brain cancer that oh. you can have a bit of a scar, but no big deal, to uh, this is a big deal. So she was never the same. Hmm. She when, when she came out of surgery, she had lost some vision. It got better, but then it got much, much worse at times. So yeah, this was pretty much a surprise as far as something. So she was doing bad, relatively so. well when, sure, yeah. boom, yep. this happened. Okay. Never was a smoker. For the most part, like anybody else, probably could have lost 20 pounds, but wasn't wasn't grossly overweight, didn't have any of the major lifestyle issues that you know we tend to think cause cancer. And, and we teased her a little bit. She was in and out of consciousness and she was able to answer questions and not answer questions, but a neurologist would come in and he would ask her questions and she would immediately say Barack Obama, like without hesitating. <laughs> and then he would come in later or later on. And we would, as soon as we come in, we would say, I would call her dude. Dude was always our pet term for each other. Dude, okay. Don't right. tell him, don't tell him Obama's the president. Obama's not the president. So he would ask her, who's the president? And she would say Barack Obama. And so then we would laugh and say, sure. we told her not to say that. And was she doing this on purpose of, or was she confused? Yeah, no, she believed a hundred percent Barack Obama was the president. All right. Yeah. She had yeah. a little bit of a sense of humor at the time that he would hold up or just ask what color his shirt was. And you know, as blue as my shirt is, she would say a hundred percent confidently yellow or orange, like not even close. Yeah. And he would say, are you sure? She would say, absolutely. And he later explained it, that it was, her eyes were fine. It was just the brain interpreting colors was not working. We would tease her when the doctor left. Like, Dude, do you realize that you screwed up the color test? And yeah. they were testing her, but it's one of those things that it's a wry smile on your face, but it's sad in the same moment. It's a bittersweet I would say two months later, it was at home hospice. So it, mm. it was, she ended up passing away in December. Of, so, you know, it, it went from Just April. a few months. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, her son, who was 19 at the time, he's 20 now. So she was in hospice, in, in a hospital bed in her living room. Like my, my wife is a nurse and she always says through this, there's things a lot worse than dying. We certainly didn't want my sister to, to try to hold on. The greater celebration is to let human life go and to go on to what's next. And there's some joy in that as well. A couple of moments, like you're able to go to your hometown and to have some really good moments that brought some peace and some, some joy to you. Siblings always have probably legitimate beefs with each other reasons. <laughs> and, and one of the if you want to call it a blessing of getting sick as opposed to just getting flatted with a car is you have time to make things right. And sure. we had some relationship stresses between us. As So yeah, so she lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and that's where we spent our teenage years. And one of the things that you do in Myrtle Beach is you go cruise the boulevard when you're a teenager. So you go out and there, there are some... Some people that that have all souped up sports cars or whatever. Yeah. And then so that was the thing that we did back in our teenage years. And one of the nights that her son actually went to work, when I was down there, that would be his key. Look, you can go to work, go get out, just have a quote normal life for a night or two. Size. But then one night we we went and we cruised the boulevard. So we took my car and There'd be no way to explain how bad my sister looked at this point. Just a big scar on her face. And just if you were, would have seen her, just not knowing her, you would have yeah. almost been horrified. I was like, hey, let's go cruise the boulevard. And so we drove down the boulevard and it's this huge Ferris wheel and there's cars and music. And her vision was very impaired from the strokes and everything, but she knew we were there. And that was, that was the time that I know that I made peace. And as human beings, I think it's maybe our family legitimately did us wrong. But of course, there are ways that I legitimately 
did her wrong or, or she would have a legitimate beef with me and vice versa. But that was the moment where it's, you know what, we're just, we're brother and sister. We, for lack of a better term, we both suck as human beings in some ways. And we both <laughs> But you're having a good, you're having a good moment, right? You're having a good moment. Had that moment. And that was the forgiveness moment. Yeah. And I don't want to oh. say forgive because there was nothing really to forgive other than just some, just some sibling stuff. But that was a moment where it was like, you know what, we're just, everything is okay. It's all better. It's all okay. I knew whether it was going to be a week or months, she was not going to be around much longer. Yeah. The miracle is that she's not dealing with all the earthly problems that you and I are dealing with now. A little joy in your relationship, maybe some nostalgic moments, but also some ways to put it in a proper perspective. And I think when we talk about having some joy in this difficult journey of cancer, you know, it only affects the person with cancer, your sister, but you and your rest of your family as well. And not everybody comes to good terms with it. If you can come to good terms with it, with your sister, yay for you and yay for her too. You had your emotional moment with your sister sure. with all this deal. And yet I'm sure she had some realities to deal with regarding major surgeries and hospitalizations and financial challenges there. I, I have some of the knowledge to, to be able to help, but a lot of these things when you take the CFP exam, may talk about some estate planning type issues, but until you've done it for like your own family and dealt with it, it's all just textbook okay. stuff. Absolutely. So she had done a few things prior prior to getting sick, but like everybody else, there are a couple of things that hadn't been dealt with. One of the things that was the bright side of the entire year was she had four friends that literally stopped everything and, and helped her it brought back my faith or, or it increased my faith in humanity, how much these people just literally helped her. They raised money. There were thousands of dollars raised. And as people progress with illnesses, some of the things that they need help with is it's not that pleasant to do. People oh, still course. need yeah. to bathing and, and everything else. That was really encouraging. Well, you mentioned she and, was in hospice care. I know what that means. And you mm-hmm. know what that means. I have a son who is a hospice worker and it is gritty work. It is a gritty situation to be in hospice care. My nephew, her son, he, and being a 19 year old, you just think that the electric bill just gets paid. It just magically, you always flip a switch and the electricity comes on and there's always food in the refrigerator. She went from being quote normal and then the next day sick and in the hospital and and never recovering. So things like just buying groceries is number one, there has to be money to do it. Number two, kids just don't know what to buy or how much to buy or So we had to do everything from dig up online passwords and make sure the electric bill was paid and the phone bill and everything else. Mm -hmm. And we had to get him on some systems on going grocery shopping. And these four of her friends, honestly, they paid for food for the whole year and just food showed up. So that was literally a miracle. And then also... uh, many checks just showed up. So they had set up a meal train, which is like a GoFundMe. And so thousands of dollars were raised there. And then there were many checks that just showed up. And I'm talking anywhere from 25 to $500. And I don't care who you are, $500 check, you notice. So people, just perfect strangers that just write a $500 check, that's the bills always got paid. Everything always got paid. There was always a little something. And there was literally just about nothing left over when she passed, but everything was taken care of. And the That's amount awesome. of people That's that awesome. helped my, my nephew's old middle school raised money and they raised, it was a thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of different people just stepped up and raised money and helped. people volunteered to cut her grass. There was a housekeeping service that came in and, and cleaned her house. So it, it was really a time yeah. where the positive the negative, obviously, is the illness and, and just how horrible it can be at the end. But the positive was how many people, because you go through life thinking, you know what, the world's kind of not that great of a place. Everybody's out for themselves. and right. But then you see in this situation, the money that showed up, the people that showed up, the her friends that literally helped her go to the bathroom and cleaned her and, and just things that, mm-hmm. yeah, so that was a totally amazing part of the part of the situation. Was there parts one of thing her, that I told- I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought there. I was going to say, one thing I told my nephew was, this needs to be part of your life that you remember what people did for you and your mom. Because number one, nobody has to. 
But number two, they did. And if you, two things, if you're ever in a position in life to help someone, you need to do it because how many people stepped up? And if you're ever in a position to think that the world is a horrible place and there's not a God that loves you that will take care of you, you need to remember everything that literally miraculously showed up. Hey, my friend, Dr. Brad Meller here. I just want to put a bug in your ear that the Cancer and Comedy Podcast live stream launch party is just around the corner. That's right. The Cancer and Comedy live stream launch party is Saturday, November 4, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m., coming to you live on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. And it is a live comedy show featuring clean comedy legend Rick Roberts. He's in the Mayberry Band movie and TV show, and he does a killer Barney Fife impression. The Cancer and Comedy Podcast live stream launch party is coming to you live from the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit Show. And if you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, come and check it out in person. For you, my Cancer and Comedy Podcast lifter uppers, the live stream launch party is at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. Now remember the date, Saturday, November 4, 2023, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. You can find the launch party at cancerandcomedy.com slash live. We'll see you there, turning the grim into grins. And some of that, what you are sharing there, do you receive and then you can give back. And that's part of what we love to talk about here in Cancer and Comedy is you receive something joyful and good and give back uh, to others. But it's also given him some basic life skills, wasn't it? Grocery shopping, dealing with money, this kind of thing. And not everybody is well prepared when crisis comes. And basically, crisis comes to most of us at one time or another. It might be an illness. It might be a divorce. It might be a uh-huh. lose your job, COVID. Any number of things can happen. So was your sister prepared adequately? And then or were there some lessons learned that some of our listeners might be thinking about how to be prepared for something like this. Yeah. So she did have a will. And so that was, that, that made things a little bit easier, but a will starts when you pass. So when we're just talking about like a financial tool, while you're alive, a will doesn't really do much of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did have to, and, and thankfully a, a friend of mine who's an attorney was able to draw up a power of attorney for her and naming me power of attorney. And that gave me just the legal ability to make decisions on her behalf, to call an insurance company, to call a doctor's office and say, hey, if there's not somebody trusted in your life that has power of attorney for you, you should really think about who, who that should be. So obviously spouses, but if you're not married, we all should have somebody who can act, who can make decisions on our behalf. Power of attorney, it's a relatively inexpensive document that that an attorney can prepare for you. But COVID happened overnight, right? People were on a ventilator sure. the day after being, quote, normal. Somebody still has to make decisions. So right. power of attorneys is something that we all sh- should consider having. There's several shocking levels of cancer and other debilitating diseases. One of them you Many cases, people lose their jobs because they just can't work anymore, if that's the case. Or they end up having, they're not quite prepared for the sticker shock of the bills that come in, or they're inadequately insured, number of things like this. And you mentioned one of those, which is applying for uh, benefits and so on, and tips as a financial planner and as a brother of, uh, a loving brother of someone who went through this, that you might offer to our audience some practical things they might do to. So let's go before the crisis and let's everybody listening do the best that we can to move towards having several months of living expenses worth of cash in the bank because cancer is not the only crisis that can happen. Certainly there are many different types. Even when COVID came, some people had a little bit of cash and they were able to float until things got going and some people didn't. If you have no cash, literally work towards having $50 of cash and then $100 and two, three, four, five, six months worth of cash in the bank is impossible, but it's not. And God will honor our efforts. But a cash reserve is an incredible peace of mind giver for anybody. Yep. And then the other thing, and, and it's hard to think about, and she was young, 50, but the, the medical directive. So especially if you're older, most people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s 
do not want to be, quote, put on a machine to keep them alive. And if they do, that's fine as well. That's their decision. But those things need to be on paper. Sometimes different family members have different thoughts on this, and there's different religious yep. traditions and all kinds of things involved. If you got it down on paper and, and somehow legalize it, I don't know if that's a word mm-hmm. or not, but that helps. Am I right here? Depending on your starting point, if you're frail and 85 years old, my wife, who's a nurse, says CPR is literally torture at that point. And because you, know, you literally have to crack ribs and everything. Yeah. And, and most people wouldn't want that. Maybe to, to put all of, take that burden off your family to have to make that decision would be a good thing. So I'm mm-hmm. sure your, your sister did not want to be a burden on the family and run regard. And there is burden felt when people go through this process. And this is a big part of what we're talking about here, planning and then reacting to release burden. Is that she had a $43 per month life insurance policy. She named my nephew, her son as the beneficiary. Now, when she passed away, he was over 18. So that was okay. The short of it is that money is his start of life. And there's some money in an account and he hadn't blown through that much of it yet. And I'm helping him manage that. And that money is a tremendous start for him. And she absolutely knew at points because she asked about, did we pay the life insurance? So she knew that we needed to keep that in force because it was going to be needed. Yeah. Yeah. And these are things that we all just need to think about once or twice every few years. Yeah. And so you assess your level of income and what you want to have and other factors, I'm sure. Can you give any thought to the person who was blindsided by everything, including financially? And they got to scramble here. They got to scramble. Are there alternatives, ways that people can, they get that bill from the hospital system to go, oh, <laughs> it takes your breath away. And as long as you got the call from the doctor a month earlier, that took your breath away because of the, the, the diagnosis, the prognosis. Now you get this. Yeah. So one thing to do is you can talk to talk to an attorney and there are certain ways that you can title your assets to where they may not be be able to be attacked by creditors now there, there are ways to title assets potentially that can mean that they pass to heirs without having creditors have judgment on them so that's one thing most people want their loved ones to have something they want to leave some sort of a legacy and obviously money is a measurable item so that's one thing. Work with an, an attorney and see which ways you can title assets. Churches often have just abilities to, to help with, with meeting expenses, if possible, with helping with respite care, things like that. There are resources out there, but they aren't many. And cancer and, and illness can be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah, you know, $20, $25 an hour for a caregiver is that that's a lot of money that adds up between the agency and the person themselves. It's almost not charging enough because those caregivers, even with that cost, they're not able to make an adequate wage for such an important job. Someone who's basically middle income or whatever, but they weren't properly prepared and something like this comes along and basically be prepared and then go to the whatever means that you can to repair things, to do what we've said here all along, which there are situations because we're taught We've started our conversation here about your family relationship and basically the joy of your family relationship with you and your sister, the cheerfulness. We believe a cheerful heart is good medicine. The cheerfulness is you're able to restore some relationship there. But money and disease and death can tear some families apart, particularly if there is a lot of money involved. I've seen people end up in probate court and things like this, which can get ugly and sad and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Is there, so what we're talking about here is somebody's got a decent inheritance and people are going to say, okay, what do we do now and how do we deal with this? Any thoughts about how that can be dealt with in a manner that is constructive, not destructive? My mother passed away. She had a little bit of an essay. It wasn't a tremendous amount of money, but she had some money and she chose to not leave it equally to my sister, myself and my brother. And it was in the will, but she actually left a handwritten note to all three of us. My sister lived near my mother and provided a lot of care. So my mother very lovingly said in the letter that my sister was going to get a bigger percentage. Totally okay with that. She said that my brother was going to get a, a the second biggest percentage. And she even mentioned that she hoped that I think he would start a business and even she wanted him to have her engagement ring in case he ever found the right girl. And that's totally beautiful. And But that there was never a chance that we're going to fight over her engagement ring. But if there were, 
hey, she settled that and everybody would respect that. And then she mentioned something to the effect of I already had kids and I was going to probably be okay anyway. And so everything worked out great because of this handwritten note that literally was in a folder that we all knew where the folder was, but never saw it until she had passed. Because you're right, money... If there's not a lot of money, it creates problems and stress. And if there is a lot of money, it creates problems and <laughs> yes. stress or can. Right. Normal people, all of a sudden, you can get siblings hating each other in, in different cases where one gets 10 million and the other one gets 11 million. And they're there. But money can do crazy things to people. Having your children and your heirs know your wishes and and expressed. And I think handwritten letters are just so powerful and give reasons. I think is it, that was a really valuable thing for our family. And let me just ask you, in that case, are handwritten letters or the illegal entity, as it were? Yeah. The will basically said whatever the, the percentages were. I think oh, it was, it was legally done as well. Right. Yeah. So, the, so there was a will. So that was right. the emotional component, if you will, right. Right. to this. Right. Helped explain it right. so that all three of you could understand her will, at least. Not her right. legal will, but her Correct. personal will explain to you. And the handwritten letter said things to the effect of I love you all equally and things like that, that a legal document wouldn't say. So if you just look at the legal document, you can allow emotions to get in place and she loved me more than she loved you or anything like that. And that certainly wasn't the case. And she was very clear mm-hmm. to have well thought out reasons that everybody respected and it was fine. I think what you're sharing here, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that it's so important to have these viable conversations, even around money, if you got money or you don't have money, have those conversations because so many people, David, just don't deal with it at all. They it just that's where the shock and the surprise comes. And actually, you just reminded me. So my sister came to visit us, my house, which is five hours away from where she lived, probably five years before getting sick. She just on a visit she wasn't sick. She brought a copy of her will to me and that named me as the executor. And she also gave me her life insurance policy number and information. I, didn't, I had no idea it existed. And of course, never dreamed it would be used. When she got sick, I knew that ultimately there was going to be a couple hundred thousand dollars of life insurance benefits, which of course doesn't bring her back, but it does solve financial problems. And I do remember taking her son, we were driving to the hospital and I explained to him just financially what would happen if when it happens and he would eventually inherit her house that had a little bit of equity and there's life insurance. And because as a 19 year old, he didn't have a clue what happens when somebody dies, money and and not money. And the bad thing is there's a lot of 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds who don't have a clue either. (laughs) But it's not that anybody was like, well, as soon as she dies, there's $200,000. Let's hurry up. But it was, this is going to be a bad day when it happens, but it's going to be a little bit less bad because there'll be some money that can just solve some of the problems that money solves. Let's talk for a minute about another level that does come into play here, and that's the spiritual level. You've mentioned kind of being good stewards, for instance, of resources. But what do you think the part to play, if any, about some sort of connection to a higher power or some sort of a spiritual aspect to everything we've talked about here today? Does it come into play at all, David? Absolutely. In different ways, right? So obviously my sister was sick, but a lot of times, to be honest, she was literally sleeping 22 hours a day. Obviously her son had a difficult time. My brother had a difficult time. I had a difficult time. And in some ways it was easier because I was far away, but it was harder because I was far away. There was a church service and talking about the Beatitudes and blessed are the merciful, so for they shall receive mercy. I'm not a biblical scholar. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have Bible verses memorized and that got me through the year. That was one of the times if the Holy Spirit's told me to do 100,000 things in my life, I've probably done two of them and not done the other 99,998. But this was a year that I actually was obedient. There was mercy for me. This actually has been a really good year for me after that. So... Well, if you got to say, if you got to start someplace biblically, blessed are the merciful, the beatitudes, which is all about mm-hmm. being happy. The the word beatitudes means to be happy or to be affirmed, and that's a good place. Show a lot of mercy to your sister. You drove back and forth a lot, and which also could have impacted your business last year while she was sick was slightly up, which was a miracle. Business this year is like incredibly up. And I think sometimes things just work out when you do the right thing. Let's talk for a minute now about, David, how you serve others out of this whole process, how this motivates you and what you offer that can be helpful to people. Because we love to talk about how you take the experiences of cancer or anything else, and you can either go down, spiral to oblivion, 
or you can be have a bit of a cheerful spirit. You can have, how have you been able to take this tragic experience with your sister and then use it as some sort of motivation to, to serve other people? I mentioned that my sister had three or four really good friends that literally dedicated their lives to her and were at her house every day. Food just showed up and probably between tens of thousands of dollars that they spent. Actually, a friend of mine who is, he's actually in my Friday morning men's group, he's in kidney failure. And so he goes to dialysis and he he doesn't drive and he's getting into the kidney transplant program, which is a tremendous I didn't, you don't realize how, what's it's involved in, with it. It's but, intense. Um, yes. It's intense. Yeah. So once he gets, he's not even medically approved yet, but once he is medically approved, it could be years before a kidney shows up. And so anyway, so I have, I, I'm his trusted contact. So I'm the person right now who's listed with the social worker okay. to get him. So I, my sister's four friends, I'd sent them a text saying, I just want you to know that because of how much kindness you showed for my sister, who's not related to you and you had no obligation, I now am in a position to where there's someone who I can help greatly and I can't not help him after people stepped into my family's life and helped my sister. So I told them that their kindness and love towards my sister is literally a big reason why this guy is getting help with getting a kidney yeah, um, and, awesome. and, and just all the logistics involved with getting a kidney. And, a, and it's a bigger deal than I thought it was because oh, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's no small task to get a kidney. Now you're a changed person out of this experience and even out of the tragedy, some good stuff has come. And that's what we'd like to emphasize here in cancer and comedy is that you don't have to stay in the tragedy. You can move, use these experiences and experience some joy and some cheerfulness in, the, in, in your life, and then take that and build on it and serve other people. One of the ways you serve other people is by, by being a certified financial planner. And I know you have a, bi a business. If people want to know more about your business or know more about you, and I know you have a podcast and some other things that you have that serve other people, tell us how people can get a hold of you hold of you and learn more about what you're all about. Check out www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. And I talk about, my tagline is we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. But I don't define wealth as a certain dollar amount. I define wealth as, let's say last year, I was able to drive back and forth and, and help my sister. So I had some, some flexibility and things like that. Money is such an important tool in all of our lives. And if I asked you to, to think about everything you've ever been stressed out about, and then if I said, how many of those items had some money component to them? It's probably 90% sure. of everything we've ever been stressed out Absolutely. has some sort of a financial component. And then if I ask you to be really honest and say, out of those 90% that had a money component, how many of them did you either cause or partially cause? Or did you not prevent or not partially prevent? And in a lot of cases, a lot of, there's a lot of, yeah. we all probably can, could, gotta, can, we probably can all look back at a few just financial decisions that we could have made differently. Confess to several. And my wife would confess to several that I've done as well. Because you might actually be her financial mistake. Ah, ooh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Now we're going to medlet here, man. So I knew we'd get a little dig in here somewhere along the way, but that, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. We appreciate you being with us here today. And also the name of your company is ParallelFinancial.com. And we thank you for being our guest today. His name, David Chittick. And from ParallelFinancial.com. Oh my gosh, David had such wonderful information to share. And very important for everybody, as we said before the program. One of the things that struck me about his conversation was really thinking about how it affects others. You know, in, in prior shows, we have talked with people who themselves have had cancer, but he is a family member. And sometimes we forget just how much what we're going through is affecting our family members. And I loved hearing his point of view from on that. Yeah. And it's, it was transformative. And of course, I uh, really believe in the power of 
transformative experiences to change us fundamentally and help change the dynamic in other relationships uh, fundamentally. And in that process, some healing took place. And we like to talk about healing through hope and, and humor. And I just love some of the stories David told mm -hmm. about his sister and about his nephew. Uh, his sister, particular story where they were cruising in yep. Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could tell there was some um, old stuff there from growing right. up between mm -hmm. brother and sister. And there was probably some other stuff in the nuclear family that was, you know, not so good. Right. But they had a moment just to be brother and sister, kind of like when they were kids and cruising up and down their hometown and had a healing moment and had some restoration and come to a moment of, you know, reconciliation with someone you had a little bit of tension with because you were at a moment where, okay, time is precious. Our relationship is precious and you prioritize things. And that's, uh, that was really cool to hear. What, what was your reaction to that particular story? You know, it, it's funny. I'm an only child, but you know, it was so inspirational to hear him talk about it because he, he was talking about, he said, you know, these were not big fights. You know, these were just the little squibble squabbles and, you know, misunderstandings that a lot of families have, but he loved the opportunity to kind of make peace yes. with that and put it behind him and then go forward with the, the good memories. He talked about, you know, the small moments, finding yes. joy in those small moments. And, you know, I just thought that was so interesting and, and so inspirational to hear. And the pragmatic part, part of it was, you know, David was able to use his expertise to be helpful to his sister, right. to kind of put her financial house in order mm -hmm. in a time when it was a colossal mess and uh, all kinds of stuff happening. And also then be helpful to his nephew, who was a very Most young man. What, I think he was 19 and 20 years old mm -hmm. when this was all mm -hmm. going on and help him to, you know, hey, you know, I'm still lost financially a lot of the times. Right. But, I you know, know. Mm -hmm. when I was 18 and 19, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to or 19 and 20. I would not have been responsible for, you know, selling a house mm -hmm. or buying a house or mm -hmm. all the investments type of stuff. And David helped him to navigate that. And what a service to his right. uh, to his sister mm -hmm. and knowing mm -hmm. that you know she then knew that her son was cared for right. and to the son to have proper education mm -hmm. you know uh from a trusted family member to help him navigate this stuff and to be basically set up for his young adult life right well and i love the fact that he said you know yes the the nephew got a small inheritance but he hadn't blown through it yet. Ah. And, you know, and, and I just, I love that. And, and what that showed was that the nephew was learning from his uncle and accepting his wisdom, um, you know, because what 20 year old kid is going to think, maybe I should keep this in the bank and not go on vacation, especially after what he'd been through. Right. Yeah, um, and, you know, not buy a car, not do anything like that. It was, it was still there in the bank and, and he was going to use it for, you know, who knows what in the future, but he knew how important it was, not only in his mom's memory, but also in his future to 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 really be responsible with that money. Well, I think this is just an uplifting story that we can pay attention to and, and enjoy. And this is the when we talk about cancer and comedy. It's not always giggles and ha ha. It is right. being those hearing those stories that just kind of put a smile on your face and say, this is a good thing. This is a time of uplifting uh, family members and other people that uh, is going to set the course that's based not on destructiveness, but on hope and a real future. Even if the, you know, death has devastated the family, mm -hmm. you still move on and you can have a bit of a warm memory and that type of thing. So, we appreciate David, and we'll put connections to him in our show notes and hope people will, in whatever they're doing in their life, will consider their whole financial picture as a part of their overall uh, navigating cancer and their healing process. Right. Most definitely. Well, now that we have had that wonderful inspirational message and, and information from David, it's time for our amateur hour on cancer and comedy called Dr. Brad's Bad Joke of the Day. So a young man was walking through the woods and he comes a bunch of a group of old time guys, old timer guys. He was sitting around campfire. 
And the young guy says hello, and and the older guys invite him to join their group. And after a few minutes of quiet, one of the old guys uh, says, number 17. And they, all the guys, the old guys start laughing out loud. And and the, the next guy says, number 64. And everybody busts out laughing again, this time louder than before. And the young man is a little bit confused. And he turns to the old guy next to him. He says, what? What's going on here? What's what's everybody laughing about? And the old guy says, "Well, young man, we've all known each other for so long. We love to tell jokes. We are told all the same jokes over and over again. We just don't need to tell our jokes anymore. We just have numbers for our jokes, and we just tell uh, tell the jokes by the number." Oh. <laughs> So they were going around the circle this way, and finally the turn came around for the young guy. The young man stands up, and he says, with a real confident voice, he says, number 33. Nobody laughs. Embarrassed, the young man sits down. He he goes again, number 33. Complete quiet. And he says to the guy next to him, the old guy, I don't get it, man. Isn't number 33 funny? The old guy says, oh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny, all right. But just not the way you tell it. Oh, my gosh. You always come up with the best jokes. So now it's time to shift gears a bit for Dr. Brad's Faith It or Break It segment. In our Faith It or Break It segment, I want to talk to you for a moment about the concept of a return on investment. Many times when we think of the term return on investment, we're thinking about making a financial investment in some uh, stock or bond or commodity or something on the stock market or on crypto or something like this, some financial vehicle to help us pay interest on what we have invested. And we don't want to lose the principal, but we want to invest in something or perhaps a business venture and get money back on the deal somewhere in the long run. That's the whole idea. You invest some money in something, you want to get a return on investment. The other day, I was in line at Starbucks in the drive-thru, and I had an occurrence that's happened to me before, but it doesn't happen too often. But perhaps it has happened to you. I pulled up, I ordered my drink. I have a certain drink I almost, uh, I get quite often, a Frappuccino, frozen drink. Cost about six bucks. It's not cheap, but I get it, you know, a couple times a week. Just because I want to indulge a little bit. As I pulled up to to the window to pay, the young woman uh, at the window said, uh, the car ahead of you just uh, paid for your drink. And the car ahead of me was already moving off. I couldn't even wave thank you. But to what I did then, I just was thankful and I had the money to pay. Of course, I had my money already out ready to pay. So I said, hey, how about uh, I just pay for the person behind me? And so that person had uh, a couple of drinks. It was, I forget the exact number, but like $12 or something like that. So I just paid for that, paid for their drink. I was reminded, and it felt good for what somebody did for me, invested some money in my drink, and it felt good for me to invest in the person behind me. And I'm not sure it had happened on that day or not, but I know it has happened before, where one time at a McDonald's or someplace like that in the drive through window, the person in the window counted 12 times in a row, 12 cars in a row, where somebody paid for somebody behind them. It was literally a chain of kindness where people are investing their money, a few dollars in the person behind them just to help them to to do something nice, to do some kind act just because. Interesting, isn't it? How some kind act like that, investing some money and some time and a little bit of inconvenience pays off. In the Bible, there's a story called the Good Samaritan, and this Good Samaritan guy was not very well liked by a lot of the folks around him. He was kind of a foreigner and was considered uh, unclean, but he was traveling in this place, and he came upon a man who was beaten up, 
And he went to him, and the Bible says he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine on his wounds to try to give first aid. Then he put the man in, on his donkey, his mode of transportation. He took him to an inn, kind of like a modern-day clinic, took care of him. And he took out some money. It says in the Bible, two denarii, that's about a day's wages, maybe a couple days' wages. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The fact is, the Samaritan, someone who was despised by many, invested really a significant amount of money in uh, the man who was beaten up and left for, for dead. And what Jesus said in this story was, do you think this man was a neighbor or not to the man that fell in the hands of robbers? And of course, the answer was yes, he was a good neighbor, even though because of his background, many people despised him. And he invested in something that he may not have received any return. Now, I just kind of doubt that the good Samaritan was ever paid back monetarily, but it's a good thing. Let me give you three points or three lessons I think we can learn from this lesson here about a return on investment. One is just to show compassion to people in need, whether they're beat up or hurt or somebody in the hospital, even strangers, even cancer patients, show compassion. The Samaritan saw an injured man and he had pity on him. He was moved emotionally, even though the Jews and the Samaritans were nasty to each other. Second thing is take action to help. You know, do something. Do something. He didn't just feel bad for the man or lift up thoughts and prayers. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on his donkey, his mode of transportation. He got him in a safe place. He paid for his lodging and his medical care. Third thing is he went out of his way to care for others. He went way beyond binding the man's wounds. He took care of him, he invested money, and he also invested money over time. He said, I'll be back in a couple days when you've recovered and I'll settle up with the innkeeper. True compassion, everybody, is sacrificial. So the, the, the lesson here is be merciful, be kind. That is an incredible investment. I'm so glad that in Starbucks line, somebody invested uh, six bucks or so for my drink, and I'm glad I invested 12 bucks or so for the couple of drinks of the people behind me. You know why? Because that shows that people are neighborly to me, and I could be neighborly to them. And that's a good thing, a good lesson from the Good Samaritan about a true return on investment. That is our faith at or break it moment. It is now time for one of my favorite parts of this program, our Lifter Upper Listener segment. Did you know that you can be on Cancer and Comedy as a Lifter Upper Listener with your uplifting story about your cancer journey? Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and record a brief message for us. Our podcast co-host, Deb Creer, brings us our Lifter Upper for today. You know, and, and, and I think that happens. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of at a raw emotional state. And if somebody says, I can make it better, mm -hmm. you think, wow, okay. Um, well, but one of the things I also really did discover was to rely on other people. You know, my friends, associates, family, everybody, it, it became this whole big tribe of people who were helping me through this process. And one of the things that, that I loved, and, and I still do, is you know when I say, hey, I'm having a procedure, I'm going in for this, going in for that, and so everyone um, sends well-meaning thoughts, they send prayers, all sorts of things. And I always feel like I'm going in with like this bubble of support okay. and care around me. Um, you know, and, and you'll love this. Well, Lifter Uppers, this brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Did you know that we like to call folks like you who follow Cancer and Comedy Lifter Uppers or 
lifters for short, because Cancer and Comedy is all about telling uplifting stories of people like you who are kicking cancer's butt with healing through hope and humor. You can join those of us who are turning the grim into grins by telling us your uplifting story at voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com. You can also keep up with everything Cancer and Comedy through our Cancer and Comedy Chronicles newsletter. Just go to newsletter.cancerandcomedy.com to sign up. Well, that's it for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. And if you like what you hear, please pass this podcast on to someone in your life who needs to turn their grim into a grin. For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? Then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time, keep turning the grim into a grin.